0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Good, and then two weeks ago, and then again today, as I mentioned, also next Sunday, maybe one more Sunday after that, I'll continue this topic of recognizing the good, and to think of that as an actual skill set. It's not the only skill set we want. Right, but it is a, I think, essential skill set. And not just like every once in a while, but all the time we wanna be accessing that skill. Oh, this is good. This is wholesome. This is beautiful. Just like we're already hopefully, you know, have some skill at recognizing what's unwholesome, certainly in other people. Okay. Generally, that one's on steroids, you know, in a way that's not actually that wholesome. Sometimes, because right? we're we use that idea, oh, this is wrong with this person, or this is wrong with the world, as a something to fix on. You know, we like that that uh, identity of you know, it's almost like a doom doomsayer identity we just keep regenerating, finding things to to feel, you know, to catastrophize about, oh yeah, this is broken here, this, is, this sucks over here, this is bad. So it's really an important counterweight to be able to, at any moment, it'd be like, it'd be nice if we had three or four close friends and, and they would try to look for the right moment where they'd say, Name something good right here and now. And then we'd have to, you know, regardless of our mood, regardless of our circumstance, we'd be compelled to recognize, oh yeah, there's good here too. There's wholesome, the potential, the capacity for wholesomeness and beauty and goodness here. Because that interrupts a very, like I'm saying, a very, um, like, A vortex we have for our mind of just being in the negative, griping, the tirades, the rants. I mentioned last week, or not last week, but two weeks ago when I taught this first in the series of talks on seeing the good or recognizing the good, that uh, wouldn't it be nice if we had homework, this was two weeks ago, so some of you maybe did the homework, you know, to sing a song of gratitude or write a poem of gratitude or write an essay or give a talk to a friend about what you're grateful for. And I mentioned that the Buddha in one of his talks way back when described topics of conversation with your friends that are wholesome and unwholesome. And this is one of the wholesome things to talk about. You know, it's it's inspiring for us to talk together about what is good. So you could uh, find a way to do that, whether you write a song or a poem or an essay, or you just talk to your friend or you talk to yourself before you go to bed. Okay, honey, what was good today? How did this sensitive mind heart bump up, touch, connect with what is truly good, uplifting, where we feel that enlargement, magnanimity of the heart. (laughs) Getting better. I worked on it this morning, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, and, and really sense this heart that doesn't need to be protected, enclosed, defended, armored, and, and we're not asking that the world be a different place. The world is the way that it is. We have to deal with the world we live in. And obviously there's meanness and ignorance and justice. There is a lot uh, that is imperfect in our world. But does that mean that uh, with my heart, it has to be imperfect, you know, it has to be limited because the world is limited. And this is... Uh, part of our meditative journey so it's both out in daily life but in a, in a sense in our meditation practice where conditions are a little more protected quieter you know generally when we pick a time and a place to do our meditation practice and a posture we're coming up with a posture and a place and a time of the day where the conditions are relatively comfortable and protected we're not doing this at the Mall of America or on the side of the freeway, right? We're really in a, whatever that place is for us, that time and the posture that works best for us. And then we're exploring like in these relatively wholesome, protected conditions, can the heart, will the heart be willing to be open in this more unconditioned way, not holding back, not acting out some fear, not acting out some neediness or acting out some controlling tendency, but just inclusive and open and loving and sensitive and interested, not neurotic. right? So, and what we call a good set is a set where the wisdom in the mind recognizes to a greater degree the heart's capacity, the mind's capacity to be open, enlarged, expanded, not constricted. So we call that a, you know, even if it's a temporary experience experience, we call that a liberated mind or a mind that is released of its limitations of released of what normally binds or bounds up the heart the mind and we know this happens because all day long we're moving along that continuum a mind that's not is bound up and constricted and tight And a mind that's at least less bound up, less constricted, less tight, more open, more spacious, more allowing, and more connected. And and we may initially, without a lot of uh, spiritual and meditative experience, assume that when the heart is in its more open state, that I must be more disconnected from the wild, imperfect world that I live in. But actually, you'll find in your own direct experience, meditative experience, it's the opposite. The only way, the only place and way to experience what we call openness, being open, being inclusive, is right here, not in a different place. But, you know, we might go to a nice place, like a beautiful meadow or your place you meditate, right, to realize that the heart does have that capacity to open, totally appropriate, but the openness itself, that capacity, isn't actually dependent on those favorable conditions. Even though it's a useful support to build the confidence of what our heart is capable of doing. Being open, being inclusive, not being afraid, not neurotically trying to control and fix and even, even neurotically categorize our experience or neurotically interpret to ourselves, explain to ourselves what's happening to me. Like it's not even that, that, some of that activity may be there, but the mind isn't pushed around by thoughts neurotic or not thoughts, you know, wholesome thoughts, but just isn't contained or dependent on mental activity. So we're not neurotically afraid of mental activity either. That, like, openness isn't defined by not having thought. It's by not the mind, the heart, the experience of the mind and heart, let's say, not being constricted by thought whatever thoughts, wholesome or unwholesome. And that's a real insight for us to see that whatever this is, the mind, the heart, it isn't contained by what is being known, including negative thinking. But that's a very deep habit is when we do have negative, heavy, constricted thinking, emotions, we imagine wrongly that the heart, the mind, or who I am is somehow defined by or constricted by that those negative thoughts and emotions. Isn't that how we experience negative emotions? We feel, in a sense, imprisoned, oppressed by the negativity of our perspective, our ideas, our emotions. We live inside of them. And what this uh what we're doing by like these talks and your work uh with some of this information that i'm conveying in these talks of recognizing the good seeing the good but remember what i said at the beginning we may use what's what we call out there you know like seeing a, a friendly puppy or a beautiful flower or two people getting along you know but the goodness that we sense, isn't those two people getting along. The goodness we sense is right here. It was just a convenience to notice two people being really friendly with each other, and that reminded the heart, you know, something like, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be constricted. I can be open, right? So that's, in a sense, part of our way to relate to this world of conditions of experience, it's like medicine, and our job is to use our experiences, internal and externally, uh, internal and external experiences as a kind of medicine for opening the heart. So like even now, those of you online, those of you in the room, you know, we could be using this experience to be reinforcing a sense of constriction and tightness like, I can't believe, you know, I'm this number of years old and I started my practice when I was so old, you know, and I'm never gonna get this, I'm always gonna be one of these neurotic tight people, right? And so you could be basically complaining, doing that tirade, that rant to yourself about not good, never been good, never will be good, some version of that, and then you will have the experience you're having. And then if there's any wisdom, it will ask kindly, well, how's that working for you, you know, or for me? Not very well. But there's another way to be relating to the exact same experience, which is it's nice to be here. It's nice to be here with other people, who are interested in recognizing what's good. It's nice to be reminded to recognize what's good. It's good to be reminded, oh, already there's goodness. You know, it's just like doing the practice, that's actually the way to listen uh, to Dharma talks. I don't know if people know, but generally when someone's talking about the Buddhist teachings, we refer to them as Dharma talks. Dharma or Dhamma is that word Means it has sort of different uses, but the way it is, and the teachings that point to the way it is, and the Buddhist teachings, those are kind of the three common ways that word is used. So, you know, when we're here in Dharma talks, the way isn't to, the way to be here in a Dharma talk isn't to try to remember what the person is saying, but to just not everything, but some of what's being said can be directly turn into practice, even as we're listening, even as, you know, whether your eyes are open or closed, doesn't matter, we can be sensing here the good. And what I wanted to emphasize today in this uh, series of talks on recognizing the good is something that's a little more subtle, but is so available, and I mentioned it several times in the guided instructions during the meditation time, um, you know, just connect, simply connect. Only just connect. You know, so finding, you know, so a few words for yourself, that's an invitation to recognize this is a way back to what is good, to aligning with what is good. Only just connect. And in a sense, in a, I think appropriate sense, To have that appropriate fear or you know maybe don't use the word fear maybe use the word concern just because generally we use the word fear to refer to that constriction in the heart so because there can be something similar to fear that's not constricting like concern like a wholesome concern can be part of opening like oh yeah Just like we're interested in connecting, we have an appropriate concern for all the little and bigger ways the mind, the habits of the mind, justify not connecting, being disconnected, being numb, being in denial, turning away, not wanting to see, not wanting to feel. I mean, it is endemic in our culture, in our minds, right? I mean, just take a moment, each of us, let's take a moment and just reflect on our own, our heart's habits of disconnecting, you know, and the places in the life where we choose to disconnect. Like for some of you, it's like when you're in traffic, you're driving, it's like, I need the radio on. You know, I would feel lost if the, or a podcast or whatever you might do because I hate that transition between where I am and the time I have to take to get where I'm going. I just don't want to be there. As opposed to, you know, like for some of you who commute regularly, it turns out to be a lot of your life. So it's an interesting, mostly unconscious choice to decide, I just don't want to be me for this you know, you know, when you add up two hours a day, I mean, it's not that much for most of you, but you know, two hours a day, five days a week, fifty weeks a year, forty you know, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of this life. And it's not just like we're not there when we're driving, we're not there when we're brushing our teeth, and are we really there when we're washing dishes or putting them in the dishwasher? And even a lot of our love, uh, uh, our close relationships, we're not, we're in that place in the relationship, we're not really there when we're there interacting with the person. We're just on autopilot. You know, when we walk from the car to wherever we're going, we're not really there. So, this only just connect as a reminder a very powerful reminder and especially and this is this is actually goes right to the heart of this training that I'm uh, encouraging us all to take up is connecting aligning that only just connect like this capacity for my heart to connect with joy and all my habits of not connecting with feeling the opposite of joy, feeling that alienation, that yeah, being cut off from life, life energy, dead. The Buddha even says this, as if already dead, negligence, which is, a, you know, apamada is the Pali word, negligence, not being concerned about being open, not valuing, connecting and being open, is as if already dead. Because we're, we're just habits acting themselves out and a lot of them are not, not very wholesome. So thinking about those places where the stronger habit in our mind is to be somewhat or a lot disconnected, somewhat or a lot on autopilot. And then reimagining those places. And it's good to do that now to some degree because you'll plant the seed, like if it's brushing your teeth, like really being there for the moment the arm is stretching and reaching for the toothbrush. You know, and hearing the sound of the water coming out of the faucet and splashing in the sink and the minty smell of the toothpaste or whatever, just... It's not, and no one's making the argument that it's pleasurable. The argument, the, the point is being connected is a cause for joy, even if what we're connected to is picking up our dog poop after our dog poops, right? So it's something unpleasant, but it's still joyful to be connected with that experience, even if it's unpleasant, and it's Constricting to be disconnected from it. It's deadening to be disconnected and it's enlivening to be connected regardless of what's happening. But you don't have to believe me, right? We want to check this out for ourselves. And it's really, it just goes to the most pragmatic way to be living a life which is just to be curious about well, what sets joy in motion? You know, how do I actually connect with joy? How do I plant seeds for joy? If I live, if we live in a lawful universe where the arising here of joy and the arising here of alienation and disconnection and constriction, if that's a lawful arising, it happens because of causes and conditions, well, then, of course, I'm going to want to be attuned to that. And, and this is part of why only just connect is the cause for so much joy. Because what blossoms out of that, that uh, capacity we have to connect is, in, at least in the way the Buddha describes it, the most liberating and joyful thing, which is the deepening of understanding. So as nice as it is to be loved and to love unconditionally in those moments when that heart of kindness and compassion is really uncontrived and expanded and beautiful, the deepening of understanding, like really understanding what this is, which allows us to engage, to show up in more creative and nimble ways that deepening of understanding is experienced as the deepest kind, most subtle and deepest kind of joy or happiness and you see it fits with the deepest most painful existential suffering is the suffering of disconnection and alienation imagining you know, sort of the, oh, poor me, all alone in a dark room. Or something like that, right? We have our own existential nightmare that we're pretty busy running from. And the thing is, running from it is what makes and reinforces the nightmare, of course. Because what we run from, what we have to hide from, we, we only have to run and hide from something that's real and me, right? So, but anyway, that's sort of a side, something we can keep on the side, but what I I really want us to sense is that the opening process itself, the connecting process itself, it reveals, in Buddhism we call it onward leading, because it reveals what to do with our life. Like it, it reveals what we say in Buddhism, the difference between what's wholesome and unwholesome. All of a sudden, a kind of earthy wisdom starts to gradually come online where all day long, the heart, the sensitive heart, is able to discern and sense what's helpful and not helpful, what's healthy and not healthy, what's wholesome and not wholesome. And what we mean by that is like, what is onward leading to Stressful, Constricted states For me and others And what's onward leading To states of more and more release More and more freedom For myself and others How can I contribute How am I able to contribute to healing How am I contributing To the All of the dis-ease All the stress The hate The greed The disconnection The delusion Right, and that earthy wisdom—you could even use, you know—it's—it's it's a funny word for us these days, morality. But we could even use that word, like the birth of morality, knowing the difference between wholesome and unwholesome, skillful and unskillful. And that is liberating to to be able to, because now we're no longer helpless. Oh. So we're not doing what's wholesome because it's wholesome. The heart gravitates towards the wholesome because it's onward leading to release. And it avoids, refrains from the unwholesome because it itself is constricting and heavy and burdensome. So it's not about pleasing some external Santa Claus or impressing our friends even. Even though that is how we're often conditioned, you know, a lot of our initial morality, you know, when we think about ourselves, you know, as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, is we wanted to make our parents happy, or you know, depending on how you were conditioned, you wanted to make your parents unhappy. <laughs> but but that sort of drove a lot, you know, and then it was our teachers, you know, maybe our friends. And that sort of stood in. You know, we wanted to be an upstanding citizen. We wanted to be seen as being an upstanding citizen. But real morality, that's not real morality. That's just trying to fit in. I mean, it does some good. I'm not saying it doesn't do any good. But real morality is when it's not externally dependent. It really is arising here in the heart, mind. And it's really that sense, that deeper sense of what is onward leading and what is leading onward to hell, hellish states, contracted states. And all of that depends on this only just connect. I think, I don't know if I mentioned it two weeks ago, but it's like collecting data. How does life work? What's... What leads, you know, so when I am in that place of acting out anger and hate, you know, but I'm still valuing the only just connect. So then the heart connects to what it's like to be hateful. And it's really liberating because I see, wisdom sees, oh yeah, this is what leads to hell. This is not the way. That's what leads to the letting go of the identification with the hate is seeing that it's not onward leading. Same thing with forgiveness. You know, the Buddha, in Buddhism, I mean, there are some places where it's talked about, but because it's, it's sort of built in, like, why, why forgive? Because not forgiving is not onward leading. That doesn't mean we can always forgive or that we're ready to forgive but we want to recognize like those places in our lives where we can't forgive oh no i can't go there but you're not going there you're not going to forgive that person it's not like a free gift to that person it's a generous gift to yourself what we're recognizing you know in those places of forgiveness is how my unwillingness to forgive is a dead weight here. Do I want to hold that dead weight? Is there a way to begin to let go of that dead weight, that dead weight of resentment, right? And forgiving doesn't mean exposing ourselves to somebody that could cause us harm. It just means I don't, I don't want to be that resentful person anymore. So I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to see that my hating you doesn't really add anything here, doesn't really contribute anything, doesn't lead to my well-being or your well-being. And my forgiving you doesn't mean that I'm forgetting that what you did caused harm, or doesn't mean that I don't think that you have to be able to recognize what you did caused harm. It just means what we're doing is we're realizing that me throwing you out of my heart, I may have to throw you out of my life, like stay away from you, but I don't have to have this knot, this constriction in my heart. And so when we forgive, we're doing it because it's wise right here. It's onward leading right here. And we, no one has to tell us that. We can sense that ourselves. Oh, Yeah. This is the right thing to do. I don't have to hold on to this not forgiving him or her or them. I can let that unfold. And that feels right. That feels onward leading. And that's the great thing about this only just connect, is it really empowers, it's an empowerment. Like, oh, I'm living a life where I... I can be connected, I can be open, I can be sensitive. And in being open and sensitive, I learn how to participate in a way, regardless of my uh, external conditions, my circumstances, which may be horrific sometimes, right? But regardless of our setup in our life, our conditions, there's a way for this heart to connect in a way that's liberating. And there's a way for my heart to avoid connecting in a way that's adding more entanglement, more suffering. And that is an intense responsibility initially. Like, oh, we're really... We may not be able to control my health, my social situation, where I live, Oh, I'm being treated. There's a lot we don't control. It's already in motion. It's already, in a sense, the way that it is. It's still changing, but, you know, a lot's in motion right now. And I just have to, that, all that's emotion and presenting itself as this moment, that's already in play. And that's arising out of the past. And so it's like this for me right now. And that we have to submit to because it's already this way for each of us. But my choice to connect, that's a powerful way to show up in the moment versus all the mostly unconscious habits to choose to not connect, to be lost in thought or thought about what's happening. So I just encourage folks to just see that as a, a homework assignment, to just connect and to really see that as something essentially good. And remember, only just connect doesn't mean the attention goes to the most painful thing. We can connect to the sound of the blower. We can connect to anything in the moment, right? So what we're doing is valuing the capacity to connect. What else can the heart connect with? What else can the heart open to? What else can the heart allow? And just see where that leads. See how that's onward leading, what opens up from that. And it's it's really against the stream, so don't be surprised by some pushback. You could experiment with simple things like uh, put your fork down in the middle of the meal and then just remember, oh yeah, only just connect. And it doesn't mean when you pick your fork back up, you're giving up the only just connect. But you're just creating a simpler moment by not shoveling food in our mouths, you know, and just stop for a moment. Just, oh yeah, connect. Having been eating feels like this. Okay, can I continue to respect Value, they only just connect, even as I continue eating. Or stopping a show in the middle, you know, a TV show, just pause, and just connect. And conversations with friends, you know, just really, even the pause between thoughts, just like really take advantage of that. Oh yeah, I can connect here. I can remember there's this to open to, to feel into to allow, to value this capacity to connect. And don't, again, remember, you don't have to interpret to yourself why that's useful. It's more direct sensing that it is useful, that it is good, essentially good. And you can feel good about that goodness. That's that expansive thing. There's a feedback mechanism right there. Just valuing the only, just connect. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening.